I think it starts with self-awareness. You have to understand first your own emotions interacting with uh, with the products and understand what you feel in each moment mm-hmm. and what which uh, which applications you use more because you are more hooked or you are more uh, you like them more. So I think this is how you start. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. And on today's episode, we have Irini Casti, and she's a senior product designer at ProxyClick, cloud-based visitor and employee management system. And uh, her background is also a product designer, um, ING and KLM Royal Dutch Airlines. And one of her big passions is designing for emotion, which is something that I'd love to learn more about and I hope the audience has as well. So we'll dive into that. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Beck. Thank you for having me. It's yeah, thank, thank you, Irini, for taking a Friday evening in Belgium to, to do this. So I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So for the audience who are not familiar with ProxyClick, what is the company? What, what exactly do they do? And what is your role there? And what, what do you do? Yeah. So ProxyClick is, is a so, as you said, a cloud-based software. It's a scale-up, actually, a European scale-up. So that's a great thing that we have also in Europe, a software. And we help businesses manage the, the people flow people coming in and out their facilities. In a secure way, we respect data privacy and also in in an efficient way. And especially right now with the coronavirus, as you can imagine, this is a very hot topic. We need to bring people in the premises of companies that we know that they are healthy. And if someone is... uh, is infected, we can trace everyone. So we, we really know what is happening at that moment. Really interesting because I imagine before the pandemic, you know, you probably didn't even think about certain use cases. How have you, you know, how has the business had to adjust to the, to, to the pandemic being a, you know, a visitor management platform if nobody's going into the office? And then how have you had to deal with it? Like what, what designs and what use cases have you had to think about? In, in adjusting the business and the product to the pandemic? I joined ProxyClick in March 2020. We oh, were wow. Already, <laughs> <laughs> we were already under quarantine, the first one in Europe. And I joined as a product designer in order to help build new solutions to help people bring visitors in the in the company in the premises since then one year and three months later we are actually managing also contractors flow employee flows in the buildings uh, we book desks so we book days in the office so it the product has changed drastically and also our vision has changed drastically we want to connect people and places so we can work together. And from the design perspective, as I was telling you, I'm really passionate about design for emotion and what are the product emotions when someone is using a product. Entering in a building with a mask, not touching anything can bring a lot of stress. So my role was there to bring solutions 
from service design to product design to make people feel at ease and come in, have their meeting or have their day at the office and not worry about a lot of stuff. What, uh, what, what were some of the things that you did in the design that helped with that? So one of the first features that we had, it's uh, that, okay, let me bring you back. The first version of the product was to come into the lobby and go to an iPad and press a check-in button, a really big check-in button. Now we had to, we changed that. So the new feature was to invite already before the visitor, give them to fill in a questionnaire. Depending on your privacy policy, you were asking different questions, more about health or more about are you aware of health uh, mm-hmm. measures, etc. And then they were uh, getting a QR code. And then, so when they were coming to the lobby, uh, they would scan the QR code on the iPad, on the kiosk, and we are calling it, and they would check in without touching anything. I was so just going to ask, so like, are, yeah. you know, am I still having to touch the iPad? Because then I'm oh, worried no. about touching and contaminating. No, 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 for sure not. Yeah, that, that was a, a huge thing. Touchless check-in, you should never Amazing. touch anything. And you should know how many people would come in because, of course, we had capacity issues. Sure. Yeah, that was a, an interesting one. And of course, then you have the visitors who were coming in without an invitation. So how do you uh, help with that? So we did, um, we made the web-based check-in process. That is, uh, that are one of the things that uh, we worked on after the, the basic touches check-in. Got it. And, yeah. and just for the audience, you know, maybe brag a bit, who are some of your customers? who are using this platform. Lord Adidas, oh. Airbnb, Intuit, BCG, Expeditors, Brooklyn Navy Yard. I can go wow. on so much. Yes, they are. That's amazing. They are nice. Yeah. And they, how old and they is the are company? all over the world. Yeah. It's uh, since, um, it's around 10 years. Wow. It's been around for a while. Yeah. Um, but it's been growing the last, the past two, and very fast, actually. Uh, last year, we were around... 30 to 50 and now we are 100. Wow, yeah, that is yeah. fast growth. And how many and designers do you work with then? How many designers um, on the team? Currently we are three for Scrum teams and we are looking to expand the team. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. And Take us back a little bit. I'd love to learn about your design journey, how you decided, when did you decide to become a designer and what was that experience and kind of your career? I'm originally from Greece. I grew up and I grew up there and I started there on an amazing island. Syros is called, it's next to Mykonos for many people who don't know. And I started there industrial design engineering, so physical products. And then I did a specialization in human computer interaction because I was amazed by IDEO. I had a design <laughs> summer school. <laughs> Yeah, I had a design summer school at Central St. Martins in London and they came to talk to us and then I was exposed to design thinking and user research and everything. So I really wanted to do that. So when I graduated in Greece, I worked for three years in a transportation engineering agency, nothing to do with UX. A bit, actually. We were designing signs for road safety in big motorways of Greece. It was very interesting because I had to deal with the uh, cognitive science of the Mm -hmm. driver and when they will see 
there's specific sign and if they can exit properly, that they don't have an accident. And at the same time, I was uh, working at an incubator with many startups in the evenings just to do my portfolio uh, because I was so passionate about UX and psychology, like design, aesthetic, design, technology, and psychology, those three things, I loved it. And then I got a scholarship to, to do a master's degree in uh, a technical university of Delft in the Netherlands. And this is where I came across design for emotion and user research. And from then on, I worked with KLM and then ING Bank and then some other agencies here in Belgium for big corporates. Then I decided to go to the scale-up scene because I wanted to, to work with smaller, uh, in fastest environments anyway. And yeah, now I'm uh, at ProxyClick, working at ProxyClick, yeah. Very, very good. You, you mentioned something that is a good nugget that I pulled out. You know, some of our audience are beginning designers and they're just getting started in their design career and they don't have mm -hmm. a lot, you know, they don't, they're trying to get experience and, you know, you mentioned that you you get experience working at startup accelerators. And, yes. and actually, that's a great place because a lot of startups maybe don't have money and they're looking for design talent, but they don't can't afford senior or really experienced designers. So that's like a good training ground to get some good experience with a lot of startups. Totally, because you do everything. Yeah. You enter those places yeah. and you, you um, get with the team. And then you start from customer journeys to vision, to user research, to usability tests, everything, everything. It's great for portfolio. And uh, tell us about how you got the scholarship. That's impressive. Thank you so much. I had high marks first in, in the bachelor and master's degree. So that's the first requirement. But then my portfolio got me. My portfolio from uh, those um, accelerators, those startups, I really got mean and I had the scholarship from a, founda a Greek foundation in Greece and then a part of it in Delft from the university. So they gave me this opportunity and it was the best thing for my career. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I, I actually got a small scholarship as well to study in Canada for the first few years of college before uh, transferring. But uh, yeah, having anyway. And also there's a lot of scholarships out there, right? You just have to also be aware and know to look for them and and find it. I think I applied to 10 different scholarships in Greece and abroad. You just have to, to run that. I mean, you, know, you just have to do it. Yeah, yeah. If, if you haven't, don't even try, then, then you have zero chance. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. So teach us a little bit about designing for emotion. I'm very curious about that. Most of my design, when I think about it is, you know, UX design for me is mostly about solving a problem, right? What is the job to be done? What is the task that the users want to accomplish, especially in SaaS? And like we focus mostly yeah. on enterprise SaaS design. So they have some complicated thing. So what is the job to be done? What is the workflow? The, you know, thinking about the easiest, most frictionless way of doing that intuitive way. But I rarely think about emotion in that sense. So I'd love to hear how, how you think about it and how you applied it to the work at KLM and ING. 
I actually applied to ProxyClick, which is an enterprise oh, SaaS as well. Yeah, so, yeah, so it, we can... it can be applied to everything. And I think you're probably doing it a bit uh, without knowing. Not. So first, the basis is to have something that it works. So first, you have something usable. And then when you want someone to do something, you want them to act on something, like press a call to action button or buy something or save something, anything. So they need to act. And how they act, they react to an emotion mm -hmm. because we have micro emotions for every single product. Let me give you an example. For example, I really don't like vacuum cleaners, the big ones, because they stumble on all the corners of my house when I go around. So I really don't like them. I have emotions about it. And probably you have emotions for apps on your phone or for software that you're using. And what is a product emotion? Is It's that equation. Product emotion equals the concerns of the users plus the product, interacting with the product, plus their appraisal. So what is their assessment of it and when you have a usable product and you want them to feel at ease while they are working with it when you're testing when you're user testing uh, you're really looking for their concerns and what do they think about it so actually they have an emotion and that is the first part you really need to understand what are the emotions for example satisfaction is derived from something that they achieved something or relaxation is derived when is evoked actually when stress has been taken out and that can be achieved by a specific layout by a specific copy that you might write something and that's the basis of it what can uh, i say more in order to clarify it? oh no i i was going to add that you know in uh, one one example that i saw kind of a company incorporating emotional feedback Actually, it was uh, Intuit. Intuit has a, a labs division, and one of the projects that I saw was um, they they use the camera, the webcam, to look at your face and expressions when you're looking at your own finances. Meaning, like you know, if you have a lot of bills outstanding, you know, people are not paying you, or you know, maybe your finances are good, and they would adjust, you know, the the product, the UI. Uh, the messages you know, based on how you're feeling, you know, based on kind of like the, the, the face, facial expression that you were showing, that was a, uh, an exploratory product. Obviously, people may not be comfortable having the camera on and, and watching your face, but I thought that was a, a good idea, um, assuming, you know, privacy laws and stuff, but uh, how, how, how to incorporate emotion there. How are you measuring or calculating that? It's difficult to calculate that, but there are several metrics that you can that you can have in your platform. The best way, though, to measure emotion is to do a qualitative research, right? To have to have conversations with people to understand their faces, like the camera that it was doing in Intuit, and this is how we do it. And then in all our metrics, it shows, for example, NPSs. NPS uh, score or they propose us more but I think you might be interesting in the KLM example so for KLM we worked 
on a project that it was about people being at the airport and receiving the bad news that their uh, flight got cancelled, which is a a very bad one. So at that moment, there were a lot of different emotions. People might get angry, shout at at the staff of KLM or many a panic mode in general in in the airport while we were testing a lot of things we wanted to create emotions of understanding so we wanted to create empathy trust and relaxation and we achieved that uh, by creating messages that they were transparent clear and that uh, we were giving them something good to wait while they we were rebooking them or something like that and how we tested it We were going uh, to the airport, mocking out the situation or even in real situations. And we were asking people step by step, how do you feel reading this? How do you feel reading this? How do you feel reading this? And and at the end, the messages that we sent, we decided to design and the layout really evoked the emotions that we wanted to at the end. And it still happens. So that's great. Yeah. I have a similar, you know, an airline related story, maybe around emotion as well that I can tell you. We, we created a concept app where, you know, flights are always oversold, right? They, the airlines yeah. do this on purpose to, to make it more efficient because there's always cancellations. And then occasionally everybody wants to fly that airline and that flight, and then it's overbooked and they have to like, always ask, hey, we're, we're overbooked, who can, who's willing to give, give away their seat? And, you know, that's always a un, un, somewhat unpleasant experience because you're, you're being told you can't go, you know, some, somebody is being told they can't go. So we, we came up with an idea for an airline where um, the people at the gate who are waiting, who might be bumped, we get a, a text message saying, hey, how much would you offer? Would you be willing to, um, you know, put in your number, what, what number would you make you happy to, to be willing to wait? And it's one, it's private, you don't have to go to the kiosk. So and, and, and also, because it's sort of blind, right, everybody who's involved gets the text message, you know, if you know, the, the, the airline wants to pay as little as possible that they can get away with, while still making people happy. So, you know, a, a number that would make a passenger happy, that is still makes sense to the airline is basically a win-win situation and people keep their privacy and hopefully people are, are happier. I don't know whatever happened, but that was an idea that we came up with. That's a nice one, actually. Yeah, I can imagine that working. Yeah, yeah. You know, people can put in the number that makes them happy, you know, if it's and then the airline just needs to pick the lowest one. Right. And yeah. um, and because it's it's a blind, uh, kind of almost like a blind auction. And, uh, you know, that hopefully that solves a problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, at least for, you know, the, the people who might have gone bumped, that this would be a happy, you know, they, they're happy to get bumped because they're getting what they want. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it's their choice. So right, they exactly. feel empowered. Empowered. What other examples are there? And how, how do you, you know, like if someone is new into this, how do they even begin to think about designing, you know, taking into account this as they're working, as they're designing? I think it starts with self-awareness. You have to understand first your own emotions interacting with uh, with the products 
and understand what you feel in each moment mm-hmm. and what which uh, which applications you use more because you are more hooked or you are more um, you like them more so i think this is how you start and then uh, the best way is to to create side projects or even in your own project and incorporate that a bit in your own user tests in your own user research and ask people how if something gives us any mo- gives them an emotion and what is the concern behind it and why did they feel this emotion and i know it's very abstract but if Trust me, if you start doing it, I think you will, uh, your eyes will be amazed. I mean, your mind will be amazed, not your eyes. There's a Google article around uh, designing either for happiness or emotion. Mm -hmm. I'll have to pull it up, but basically their, their philosophy was, you know, I think users or people, consumers have, have sort of a, a jar, right? And there's moments that cause frustration within the app. And those are like, you know, maybe like the bad balls that you fill up the jar. And there's, you know, moments that create happiness. Like you, you the, the app did what it said it would, it's fast, it's responsive, and, and people have positive emotions. And there's only so many, I think they did some studies, but Apparently there's, you know, there's, there's a happy ratio of, you know, you, you can still, you know, do like the, the app can have some bad stuff, but people are willing to forgive if the overall experience is mostly positive, but there, there is a threshold where, you know, it's just, just bad enough that it's like, oh, overall I'm unhappy with it. Yeah. I can't seem to recall that article anymore, but I'll try to find it and maybe post it in the show there. notes. Oh, that, that would be nice. Maybe I can send you another another resource with a lot of tools to test for those kind of things or to design for emotions. It's called Positive Lab, something like that. I'm not. I cannot recall the exact name, but there are a lot of a lot of articles and a lot of tools that uh, help you design for that and help you uh, explore all the different positive emotions and negative emotions so you can see how your customer journey is mapped because always the emotions are going as you said before to the customer journey how many times you are in the downside so low energy negative emotions or to the upside happy emotions i think you know in in this covid world and remote kind of first world now that we're doing user tests that may be recorded normally i would ask people to think out loud when they're doing their user tests right and and maybe some of the conversations are really about oh i you know i'm trying to do this uh, where's that button or where's that or they're looking for a certain text maybe another thing that we can steer them towards is to also maybe help have them think out loud as far as expressing their emotion not just thinking out loud whether they can accomplish a certain task or if they were confused, but yeah, maybe having them talk about yeah. out loud about the, their current state of mind. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the basis. And also asking them what is their concern and why it's that mm-hmm. it's their concern and then asking them, so what is that emotion that now yes i totally mm. agree with you walking yeah. walking them through out loud it's great what about in thinking about you know because your, your customers are one thing what about uh, you know when when i think about ux design 
it's not just about the users. I also think about the relationship between our team members, you know, like mm -hmm. the designers. Um, in a way, the developers are our customers, right? How we hand off the files, how we transition, how we work together. That's a, a wall of experience, right? Like there's there's a touch point between the users and the designers, but there's also a touch point between the designers and the developers or designers and the project managers or the stakeholders. How do you think about emotion as it plays out? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I think there, as I heard you talking in another podcast about it, I think you need to talk their language, speak their language. Mm. That's, that's the first one, because at the end, it's about communication, what you do. So emotion there. I have never thought about it so specifically. But, but yeah, I think the, the first thing that I usually do is that I always let them room to express their needs and their views in the designs. I have this debate and of course, especially for the developers, but also for every single stakeholder now that I think about it, we need to be together from the start of the project till the end because then we all have the ownership and it's so much easier to design at that moment because everybody's on board. It's way easier to explain your decisions. And yeah, there is empathy for the user and empathy for the business side and for the technical limitations. So it's a teamwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that actually is a something that I actively have to work on because sometimes, you know, when, when you have an insight or you, you, you know, what needs to be done and you want to get it done, you know, whether it's a design or, or running a company, you know, oftentimes I might lead with, oh, well, this is what needs to happen, or this is what the users, the data is telling me, or the users are telling me, and I, I need to get this done. Right. And not empathetic, right. Maybe leading with like maybe the implication is having to redesign something and re-implement something, or it's going to be more work for the developers. So maybe leading with, hey, I understand that this might mean more work and, and leading with empathy of, you know, kind of coming from, from their perspective. Like how is this new information going to impact them? How is it going to disrupt them? And, uh, and having empathy and appreciation for that is, I would say, not something I'm great at, but something I'm at least... I'm starting to have awareness and I think it all starts with awareness. Once you have awareness, you can work on it. It's like, oh, I catch myself like, we need to do this. We need to, and then it's like, oh, wait a minute, calm down. What is, how is this going to impact the team? And and then, yeah, that's. <laughs> oh, yeah, actually, from the moment that we started uh, doing, even at Proxicleap now, doing workshops for big new features, from the very beginning with every single stakeholder in there, you know, to all be involved. I think those features went really way better than anything else that we have designed in silos, let's say. Mm. Actually tell tell me a bit about that. How does that how do the how does the team makeup work? How how do you you, you mentioned maybe like pods? and teams yeah what how, how are you dividing the work at proxy click yeah we have the first squads that they are that they work in four different product parts of the product and each of those squads have uh, one designer okay one squad has two uh, oh no once one designer has two squads sorry 
And then uh, we have also a product manager and we work in scrum teams, but we have very often touch points, especially between the product managers and the designers in order to be in in order to be to create the consistent designs and consistent experiences across the full product so it's very collaborative i would say and yeah. uh, how do you like what's the process or what's the flow so once you have a design i assume you do you do some user tests before it gets implemented like how does that process work it starts a bit earlier so we start with the product manager usually we start with a discovery Face. So we have uh, conversations with our clients or even with people who are not, depending on the part of the project, um, that they are not clients, and the product researcher. And once we have understood exactly the problem, or, yeah, let me start with that. And once we have understood the problem, then we bring the team together and we do something like a design sprint for, for a week. And then we go out and then we user test it again. And then we do that cycle, prototyping, testing, prototype testing, until we have something we are satisfied with. And of course, while we are doing prototypes testing, then the developers start already with the minimum viable product um, in order to release the basic feature that solves the problem. And that is for a problem that already exists. If it's something that is completely new and even clients do not know that they have this problem, um, it's another story. We start a bit uh, with uh, maybe concept design and then we go and test it and then following is more or less the same. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, my pleasure. Okay, so you've listed... Uh, a company or product here. It's called Shaking Olives, a platform to enable people to achieve ancient wisdom of healthy mind and healthy body through science and technology. Tell me what that is about. Sure. It's one of my passions. You know, health is the most important thing that we have, and it's been a bit neglected in the world that we live in, especially with all the distractions that we have. And usually we don't have time to do our sports or just go for a walk or cook a, a healthy meal. So technology can be destructive, but actually, in my opinion, I believe that technology can be a part of the solution and not of the problem. So with Shaking Olives, we really, it's a team that we really want to bring this ancient wisdom of the Mediterranean culture, because we are all from the Mediterranean, in order to improve dating habits, improve the general the physical health habits, sports, etc. Because we have an amazing tradition, the Mediterranean diet, that it's also very kind to the environment. So having those two things together, it's so important. And since we are technological people and we are science-based, we want to bring those two parts to the people, to their mobile phones, why not? To their lives, improve, you know, create new eating habits that they are healthy, make the educate them or make them learn the latest science or technology about nutrition. And of course, connect them with other people that they might help them or they might find similar problems that they can solve together. Yeah. 
What's the meaning of shaking all loose? What's <laughs> the next question? So all is is the, is the basis of the Mediterranean diet and in general Mediterranean, right? This is where the olive oil comes from, which is a, an amazing element. And in order to get the olives, you need to shake the olive tree. So it's shake. It's a, a metaphor shaking the olive tree in order to shake our mentality right now and really turn our yeah our approach to life and be more healthy. It's we really deserve to to take care of our bodies and right. fuel our bodies nicely. Got it. I, yeah, I understand the metaphor now. And and also <laughs> you need to shake the tree in order to get the, the reap the benefits of of the fruit. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is how we gather olives. I have never gathered olives, but this is how I, I know that it is done. Yeah. So it sounds like it's still in beta. Yeah. When when do you? Is it out in beta or can people? The people are invited to subscribe to beta, and really soon we will I release the first application, mobile application that really helps you improve dating habits. I mean, it's something that I've been waiting for myself as well. You know, before uh, researching that, um, I have a huge iron deficit. So researching a lot about that and how I can stop taking so much med medication about it, I realized that if you combine lentils with rice and some olives, then you get an amazing amount of iron that you actually don't need to take medication. Mm -hmm. But if you combine lentils with a, a cheese, then you don't get any iron. Mm. I thought that this was so interesting and we are dealing with so many things. And also the same as proteins, you can create, you can eat way less meat or, you know, or fish. And by combining specific cereals with uh, legumes, then you get a full protein that it's like getting it from the meat. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. so much wisdom that <laughs> our, my grandmother knew and I didn't. I see. Now I'm researching it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to to the app. You know, we Thank after you. watching a Netflix documentary on 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 kind of plant based diets and meats. You know, we we've had some realizations as well as interesting to learn so you know i think being american you know american we, we eat a lot of meat and we love our steaks and burgers but uh yeah you know there's there's room to be one more sustainable and two um yeah still still have a very healthy diet plan yeah definitely mm. i i totally agree with that yeah I'm putting my email now and it's uh, the URL is shakingolives.com. So yeah. I don't even know how you got that. Seems like a very hard URL to get to at so late in the uh, uh, internet age. <laughs> yeah, that is true. We were not believing it either. <laughs> That's good. Well, thank you so much, Irini, for taking a Friday evening um, to, to talk to us and, and share your experience. And uh, we really appreciate it. I, le I certainly learned a lot about designing for emotions and, you know, I'm excited to see how I can apply some of this. Thank you so much, Peg. Um, it's my pleasure, really. It was great uh, having this chat with you. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great evening. You too. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.